0: For almost 30 years, I've been teaching people to do something that I call reading your internal compasses. I believe we are all born with direction-finding mechanisms that are inherent in us and will help us find our best destiny. Uh, A few years ago, though, I realized that a lot of people were getting very, very anxious. And this is true, anxiety is going nuts all over the planet. So I spent five years researching and writing a book about how to read your compasses and lower the anxiety that's getting between you and your right life. And I'm very excited about the book. It's coming out in 2025, but I would love to teach you about it before the book comes out. So this summer, I'm doing a course called The Wayfinder's Compass, Moving Beyond Anxiety. And you can check it out by going to marthabeck.com compass, and we will have a fabulous time putting you on course for your North Star.
1: Hey folks, you're about to hear another special re-release of a bewildered episode that's part of what Marty calls the change cycle. This is the second of four episodes we did about the change cycle and we did one for each of the four phases or squares of change.
0: And this one is especially fun for both of us. We love to play with this one and we hope you'll enjoy it as well.
1: As you'll hear, the coming episode called A Space for Dreaming is about square two. And square two is when the feeling of who you're becoming begins to filter into your
0: consciousness. Mm -hmm. So you can find more information, those visual references and helpful hints at marthabeck.com slash change. Enjoy. Hi, I'm Martha Beck.
1: And I'm Rowan Mangan. And this is another episode of Bewildered, the podcast for people trying to figure it out. What are you trying to figure out this time, Marty? Oh, I am
0: trying to figure out a lifelong issue. It is about making casual friends. Casual friends? Yes, I lack this ability. Say more. Well, I I used to just have no friends because I'm weird and um, nerdy and generally abhorrent. Very cute though. (laughs) You know, for you, abhorrent is the new cute. That makes me happy. But I, so I was just like, I literally would like junior high school. I remember creating a place for myself under a table. I stacked all these boxes around and the other kids wrote Nirvana or Godzilla's retreat or whatever on the boxes. I literally was walling myself off from people. Then I decided, okay, I have to learn to make friends. So how do you do that? And I would read You pay attention to what people say. You reflect what they're saying. You ask them questions. And boy, did I go for it. (laughs) And as a result, like, I act incredibly interested in people I want as casual acquaintances. And in most situations, this is okay. But I specifically have problems. Like, for many years, as you know all too well, I cut my own hair. (laughs) Oh, yeah. With a pair of scissors from a sewing kit that you could take on an airplane. (laughs) It it was not not a good look. Um, But the reason was every time someone else cut my hair, they would end up feeling like they were really, really good friends with me.
1: So the problem is that you are an overachiever in every part of your life and you don't know how to like regular achieve. I don't, yeah, I don't know how to
0: regular achieve. And so, and that's why I finally like coaching is amazing for me because I really have that skill. I really (laughs) listen. I'm really interested. I really like want to fix people's lives. (laughs) But that's the only gear I've got. It's Mm. Godzilla's retreat or I'm moving into your house to fix your life. Mm. Mm. At least I'm leading you to believe that. I don't know how to do in between. You do in between. How do you do in between?
1: I don't know. I'm just wondering. I, I did talk you into finally going and getting your hair cut by, sorry to say it, but a professional. The one area in which Martha doesn't overachieve in
0: <laughs> her life is cutting her own hair. I'm sorry to say The back. That. You know, the back was not good. The back was. So I've been told. Mm-mm.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Let's just say. It didn't not look like you cut it yourself blindly <laughs> with a pair of tiny scissors from a sewing kit. Yeah. It didn't not look like that.
0: Yeah, it wasn't. And I don't know personally, I feel really good about it, but <laughs> because it's the one thing I've never been able to see. <laughs> but I know Karen for years was begging me to get a regular haircut and then you piled on and uh, you're pushier than she is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But you know, it's like, how do you do it? I don't get it. I actually, it's because I just read this great book by Catherine May. I wish I knew the title of the book. It will come to me in a while. I either remember the author or the title. Anyway, it's not out yet. This one is. Oh, I'm reading Catherine May's next book, but I didn't know her last one. So I went and anyway, she's this brilliant writer who, um, started to suspect in her thirties that she might be on the autism spectrum. And it turned out when she was tested that she was like really, really seriously on the autism spectrum. So she had the same problem I do. She would, and I actually took the test and it said I'm slightly on the spectrum. So she would either just run away from people completely or she figured out how to be socially appropriate so well that she was considered the life of every party while she was dying inside to just get away. Mm. I identified very strongly with this.
1: And working
0: very hard as well. Oh, my gosh. It's exhausting. Yeah. And then you have to go lie down and, like, have a, a minor convulsion for, I don't know, three days. Yeah. yeah. You're not giving me any help here, Rowie. Well,
1: it's not entirely unfamiliar to me. Mm. Like, but I don't know. Like, it's so interesting, like, all the all the diagnoses and classifications and everything. Because, like, that to me is what I have thought of as being an introvert is I can do it, but it takes all my energy, and then I do need a long time to recharge. so
0: i don't I don't know. Well, I don't even know how to do this except that I want to tell you that the name of the book is the electricity of every living thing.
1: That's what you were typing, you sneaky little. Yes, girl. I was
0: typing, right? i was I was doing this as we speak. And this is what I'm always trying to do. When I'm talking to people, I'm like, in my head, I'm thinking, Let's see. What's the next paragraph of my next book? It's a little (laughs) private brain space. It's not fair to others. And I'm not saying it's right. That's why I'm trying desperately to figure it out.
1: So tell me what would it look like to you if you had,
0: like, what would a casual acquaintanceship look like? (sighs) Like you seem to have friends in Australia and you'll say, oh yeah, I was talking to my friend online the other day. And I'm like, what, what I did. When did you take six hours to go write an S like a a deep, meaningful personal letter to your friend? Because I didn't see it happen. Okay. Yeah.
1: I can see what we're doing. I don't know what you're doing. Mm. Well, let me tell you, (laughs) please. (laughs) I don't know if this is something to do with no, who knows what it's to do. with? This is me. Like when I say to Marty, Oh, I was chatting with them online. This is what it actually looked like. They've shared a meme. I go, ha, ha, that is so true. And they're like, I know, right? And and there we are. We've caught up. You can not just, I've like, tried. you have to. This is Martha replying to, like, say I had sent her that she had posted a meme, imagine a parallel universe in which that would happen. And then... <laughs> Imagine that I see it and reply, ha, ha, that is so true. This, is, this would be Martha's reply and it would come six months later. <laughs> Dearest Roe Joey, <laughs> as I sit here reflecting on our life together, I see that the leaves are beginning to turn <laughs> from green to yellow, and it reminds me of time's inevitable passing. But no,
0: and- that would make me disgusting, and people wouldn't want to come back. This is how I experience it. They say, I put a meme up. They say, that is so true. Uh, and I say, ha ha, yes, it is, because I'm trying to be like you. And then they write, when are we get where? Okay, let me give you an actual example. Go ahead. This is literally <laughs> true. <laughs> When I lived in Phoenix, I uh-huh. used to be on the news on the one of the local news channels once a week. I would go in, people would write in questions, and I would answer them. And I would do a little life coaching thing. So there was a woman there who I'm hoping is now deceased because <laughs> I'm afraid she'll hear this. and know who she is. You but,
1: shouldn't wish someone dare,
0: No, I just in case they in listen the to your light.
1: podcast, w- you should consider like this is part of the problem i okay, hope yeah. she's dead <laughs> <laughs> because she might listen to my podcast i can see that's more on the yeah, um, that's nevada not a great
0: marketing vibe either yeah no i think
1: yeah i think we're starting to dig into the root of the problem
0: let me put it this way i hope she is fully enlightened and nothing can offend her There you okay. go. the fact is no one at the tv station liked her and everyone was afraid of her she was one of the video editors in the back and I used to go in and I'd wait for my segment in the back with all the electronics dudes. And we were all like close friends. I knew the names of their kids. I knew when they were going on vacation. I knew that they were, what what diseases they had. I mean... I plied my trade. I see. Okay. But this one woman was so nasty, nobody could ever dared talk to her. And so um, I decided, you know, I was going to just ignore the hostility radiating off her with little cartoon, <laughs> visible little waves of animosity. And I would say to her, um, how you doing? And she'd go like, why would you ask? And I'd say, I just think you're looking great today. That sweater looks great on you. Whatever. So this went on and she was always nasty and I was always nice. And then one day I went in and I said, how are you? And she goes, why would you ask? And I said, just because, just wondering. And she said, and I quote, we should go on vacation together. I'm not lying. So let me get this straight. Yeah.
1: How are you? Why would you ask? Because that sweater looks
0: good on you? I don't know. I was just, I just was randomly grasping at things. This is the thing. I'm not actually good with, I'm not actually good. Just I'm not actually a good person. But people get the impression that I am so connected to them that we should go on vacation together. So how was it? <laughs>
1: Where'd you go, Club Med?
0: Yeah, we, we, we went out into the desert and we just, Lay there baking in the 120 degree heat until she let me go off my leash and I went home. (laughs) This
1: is the thing: is that part of it is that you would have gone on vacation with her. I completely.
0: I remember my last haircut was in Phoenix, and it was by my very gay hairstylist, and he had introduced me to his boyfriend the month before I went in. The next month, because when your hair is short, you get it cut up frequently. And he goes, "Yeah, now that I'm not gay anymore." I'm, you know, really considering a new way of life. And I was like, wait a second, I met your boyfriend last month. And he goes, I have not been gay for so long. And I was like, well, four weeks. And and I said, well, what's wrong with being gay? And he said, oh no, I, I truly believe gay people literally burn in hell. And I like, I said, you really think there's a place for gay people? Like a physical place that is roasting hot where gay people go to be roasted over flames. And he was like, absolutely. When are you coming to my pool party? Never got my hair cut by a professional again for 30 years. No, I can really see why. Yeah. You're I'm, not... I, I have <laughs> no speechless. conclusion. Let's let's just ask Rowie what she is trying to figure out because I am not making progress here.
1: It's actually not unrelated. Um, I'm trying... <laughs> And my hands are sweating because this is—I'm this is like legit muddy. I am trying to figure this out right now. Okay, I'm I'm (sighs) hearing Something happened to us probably about six weeks ago, eight weeks ago. I don't know. And it was one of those things that doesn't feel terrible at the time, but then you realise later that it was a terrible thing and you should terrible. have known and you should have remembered from the yeah. past. So anyway, we got invited to a party. Oh, God. I know. I know. Oh. And oh. now we're at that point where it's happening soon oh. and we remembered that we are scared of parties and hate them. Yeah. And I'm not, like to me, I'm kind of, like I get to go there with Marty and so... That's nice because I'll be hiding behind you. Yeah. Until until you see someone and then you'll be like, that sweater looks amazing. (laughs) Why? why, Where? Where's your boyfriend? Uh, And all those things. All those things. Um, And you'll go into your gear because that's the thing is I don't know that I have that gear quite as intensively as you because of the overachieving. I'm afraid of that gear. So I'm. we're going to probably be in this weird contortion of each trying to hide behind the other, I guess. It
0: will be amazing. But
1: for me, what it's really come down to is I don't know what to wear to <gasps> the party because I've been in my house for three years and during that time I've, like, changed size a lot. And in two different directions, I suppose three, if you think about it. First the left side way. was changing then the right <laughs> side was changing. <laughs> um, and I've so I've got, you know, and I'm just, it's all in between stuff. And I literally, this is literally true, mm. don't have anything to wear to the party. And also it's someone that I don't necessarily know that well. And I'm really scared everyone's going to be super dressy. Yeah. Oh, I'm scared too.
0: Or, yeah, they'll be less, like, they'll be naked. I've been to parties where people started getting naked. That's not happening. I start that at parties. (laughs) (laughs) It's such a relief after, like, the worry about high heels. Now you know what to wear.
1: I I mean... I will be wearing Birkenstocks. Like there's no two ways about it. I just, I'm just scared of that minute where the eyes flick down to the Birkenstocks and then back up. The
0: entire reevaluation of your personality. I once went to a party with, it was an Oprah thing. And uh, it was at this like retreat in the countryside. And the women were wearing such ridiculous shoes that they had to have butlers carry them from place to place so that they could even they'd have to take off their shoes and walk barefoot but that wasn't distinguished enough so they just stood there in these spiky heels and there would be like a a mountainous terrain
1: there's a word yeah for the thing that i'm thinking of and i can never remember it and i always ask you and it's a word for it's a word that is also another kind of word yes. like it means something else as oh. well oh. but it's what i picture these ladies being carried upon <gasps> a palanquin No, that's not the, there's another word. Maybe that's the thing,
0: but there's another word. I pronounced it palanquin for a long time. No, A litter? Yes. Oh, is
1: that, is that what you call it? Like there's a bed being carried around by people? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll put them on a litter. Yeah, Yeah, that's the word. That would be so sweet in their shoes. But (laughs) (laughs) I love how you're being super relatable today, Marty, it's like, you know, when you go and you're being on TV for your weekly segment and that producer down the back, who's really rude. And you're like, you know, when you go to an Oprah party, the women have to be carried around on litters because their shoes are so fancy.
0: When you put it that way, I mean, my life is so drab from the inside. I can't tell you the best part of the TV gig of years of doing this was that one day a zookeeper brought in a kinkajou which is, I don't even know, it's a weasel or something. And the kinkajou got loose in the studio, which is, you know, it's it, no windows. It's absolutely dark like a cave with wires and cameras and lights everywhere. I love this story so and much. I was wearing high heels. Mm-hmm. I used to wear those. That's why I needed foot surgery. Don't do it and like a business suit, which is really appropriate for 120 degrees. But inside the studio, it was cool. The kinkajou got loose and everybody was like, oh my God, the kinkajou is loose in the TV studio. And I saw the kinkajou going past in a break between the wires and I thought, it is now or never, baby. (laughs) And I launched myself, hands out, like an American football player you wouldn't understand. And I did grasp the kinkajou.
1: I conquered
0: my fear, I grasped him. And I said, I've got him. I've got him. And then all the people in the studio whose diseases I knew had to pull me backwards (laughs) so that my skirt hiked up (laughs) with my little high heels so that we could get me out of the space with the kinkajou still in my grasp. It was the finest moment of my life. I am so
1: happy that that happened so that we still have a story to tell. Yeah.
0: And then that's, I think, much more relatable. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, but what about
1: when we had a very similar thing happen not long ago on our own patio
0: with a little (gasps) Mr. Toad? I know, but I was afraid of him a little bit. Mm. Why do you think you were afraid of him? I don't know. I think if I don't do something for about a day, I get afraid
1: of it. I feel like I have this thing with certain animals and the way they move where I still, I don't have long hair anymore, but I used to have very long hair for a long time. And I don't want to go into the whole therapy thing, but like (laughs) I have a thing about something that is going to move erratically, either going down my front or or getting stuck in my hair. Yeah. So, um, (laughs) well... (laughs) That's, that's my, one of my dark corners of my psyche,
0: <laughs> uh, but it
1: should be a great party.
0: <laughs> We've got good a good material. Party. I just hope somebody brings a freaking kinkajou.
1: Well, I mean, if, if the worst happens, you can tell the kinkajou story. Okay.
0: And you can always get naked. You can always, since you're the one, I who's always do. You, that, you always, well, you're always naked under all those clothes. So yeah, like if we run out of things to do and we're just like, like rabbits in the headlights, just staring at the people. We don't know what to wear. We wore the wrong thing. We don't know what to do. Just strip. Or we uh,
1: like, this is what I've learned. That sweater looks really good on you, <laughs> but with a slight note of surprise. That's what, maybe what we should do is come looking really daggy. Only the Aussies will know what that means. Really daggy and like, like lesbian, uh-huh. Sorry, lesbians, uh-huh. I know, but like with the Birkenstocks and the jeans and the shirt and the no bra, <laughs> uh, so we just turn up like that and the tool
0: belt. But like, what further. we should, yeah, right.
1: But what we should do is turn up and immediately start really loudly judging what everyone else is wearing.
0: Oh, wouldn't that be fun? That's the way to stop making close friends. <laughs> yeah.
1: They will not want to go on vacation with us. No, I think that's brilliant.
0: I think we've figured that out, actually.
1: Yeah, I think we're done here. But we have a Karenism, our new item. Yeah,
0: our new item, Karenism of the the podcast. Yeah. And I have it this time because I just got back from a lengthy trip to South Africa and all kinds of things happened in my absence and people became unrecognizable Mm. to me. (laughs) Um, I came in and they were like, who were you and why are you naked? And I was like, I'm trying to make friends at a party. And they said, oh, we remember you. And they said, uh, we've been watching a show. It's mm. amazing. It's called The Staircase. You have to watch it. And they kept talking about it. Mm. And I was like, well, wait, 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 wait. Tell me what's
1: what's happened. If you are someone who cares about spoilers, really wants to watch The Staircase, either the documentary that was made many years ago, so there is a sort of statute of limitations thing there, or the recent um show with tony collette and colin firth if you care about things that aren't really spoilers turn off now
0: okay i'm not sure that this will be a spoiler because karen undertook the task of explaining the show to me (laughs) and this was the way it went so here's the thing marty they found her at the bottom of the stairs there was blood everywhere not spray like with an object but blood Everywhere. And there was blood outside. And And I said, wait, 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 someone fell down the stairs and somehow the blood from this got outside. And she goes, yeah, it's like until the end, there's always the owl theory, but really they've never seen wounding like that. And I was like, wait, wait, what an owl? She's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. She had to go outside because, and then maybe the owl. And I was like, wait, she fell down, she went down and she said, well, there were two holiday deer. You've got to understand there were two holiday deer outside. And I'm like, she was chasing deer in her yard? And then like an owl got her? And Karen's like, yes, Mm -hmm. but Ten years later, another man that he had had sex with, who had sex with another man that he'd also had sex with, had the same owl wounds. And I was like, who had sex with what? And I mean, this was the explanation I got. She rested her case at this point. Like she, she made her case to the jury and I was supposed to do what I wanted with those, with that set of facts.
1: But I... Everyone who's watched it will find what's amazing to me is that you just did a perfect like that was perfect. This isn't a Karenism. This is perfect. Everything you said just makes total sense to me.
0: I was so confused.
1: <laughs> you remembered it brilliantly. Yeah. Yeah. No, I I followed it. I'm I'm I just feel like watching it again now. It's so, so fascinating. There was no skull fracture and no one had ever Been so badly beaten without their skull fracturing. So obviously, they think the owl, but then (laughs) someone else had the same thing and there was a connection. But the weird thing is, there was another woman 10 years ago, and guess what happened to her?
0: She was attacked by a holiday deer
1: at the bottom of a staircase.
0: So it is very fascinating, but I have no freaking clue. And this is the way Karen explains everything, including like the congressional hearings. And it, like she's very excited and she knows it backwards and forwards. But the way she tells it is just word uh, salad, word up here, word down there, word to the left, word to the right, stand up, sit down, fight, fight, fight. We're done. It's Karen. It's a
1: Karenism. Karenism of the week. <laughs> we'll be right back with more bewildered. We don't say this enough. We are so glad you're a bewildered listener and we're hoping you might want to go to the next level with us, by which I mean if you rate and review the podcast, it helps new people find us so we can keep bewildering new souls and you know how much we love that. Ratings are very much appreciated. Obviously, the more stars you give us, the more appreciation is forthcoming. Reviews are quite simply heaven and we read everyone and exclaim over them and we just love you all. Mwah. All right. Marty. Yes. Let's for
0: God's sake finally get to the topic of Oh, we this. have a topic. Yeah. 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 Wonderful. For almost 30 years, I've been teaching people to do something that I call reading your internal compasses. I believe we are all born with direction-finding mechanisms that are inherent in us and will help us find our best destiny. Uh, A few years ago, though, I realized that a lot of people were getting very, very anxious. And this is true. Anxiety is going nuts all over the planet. So I spent five years researching and writing a book about how to read your compasses and lower the anxiety that's getting between you and your right life. And I'm very excited about the book. It's coming out in 2025, but I would love to teach you about it before the book comes out. So this summer I'm doing a course called The Wayfinder's Compass, Moving Beyond Anxiety. And you can check it out by going to marthabeck.com slash compass, and we will have a fabulous time putting you on course for your North Star.
1: So what we thought we'd talk about today and we're going to talk about it like, all right, let's be honest, this is something I'm going through right now and I thought it'd be fun to talk about because yes. I like talking about myself. So um, we're going to talk about that sort of undefined time between when, when you in your life have been one thing and you'll know you're sort of becoming another thing, but you're not there yet and you don't really know what's happening. And I was thinking about it as a kind of space for dreaming, Mm
0: -hmm, which mm
1: -hmm. isn't something that our culture names or allows for. Yeah. Stuff like that.
0: Yeah. It's about, I mean, it's so interesting because everything is supposed to be stable. Like we're always looking for something stable. We'll go through school. We'll get a job. We'll get a marriage. It'll all be stable. Like once I've done all the cultural things and I'm wearing the wedding ring and everything, nothing can change again, but everything's always changing. So a lot of people end up, and this happens to me often, and I've seen so many people go through it. The world is changing. They're changing by nature and we are always talking about what culture says, what nature says, right? Their natural tempo is to change from what they have been into something else. Mm -hmm. But there's no, as you just said, there's no set of concepts or processes or words to describe the letting go of the old self and the undefined time before you become the new self.
1: Can you talk about the metaphor that you use in your life coach training and in various places, one of your books to describe that. Cause I love it. I think it's such a, a great image that we can I say keep this, in mind.
0: I say this like nine times a day. It's why I make close friends. Um, Cause they need this. When a caterpillar is full fed, yeah, that's the phrase. They come out, they're little tiny, and they, get, they just grow and grow and grow until they're, they reach a status called full-fed, which is when there are enough cells. This is so cool. There are exactly enough cells in this caterpillar to make the butterfly it's meant to be. Wow. And at that point, boom, without adding another cell, the caterpillar makes a chrysalis or cocoon, which hardens into the chrysalis. And then in many species of caterpillar, it simply melts into an undifferentiated
1: goop. Right. Right. Yeah. It just melts into a thing. And so it does that. And that's where we're like, oh my God, my life is falling apart. We all know that bit. That's
0: not what we're talking about today. So what happens next? Oh, when the whole thing is completely disaggregated, it triggers a chemical reaction that activates the part of the beast's DNA that says it's called an imago cell. It has the image of a butterfly like built into it and it turns it on and it takes all those cells and makes a perfect butterfly. Crazy. It's
1: absolutely amazing.
0: All inside this little container, you know, you'd have no idea what's going on in there.
1: Liquid to a different animal, all yeah. in one process. It's absolutely wild. But I think what's interesting for us as people is, and bearing in mind it's a metaphor and no one's going to turn into literal goo. It's a metaphor, people um is that the caterpillar is always going to be a butterfly and what we're talking about is the kinds of change that we go through in identity and stuff that isn't a it's not always visible like being a butterfly it Mm -hmm. often doesn't have a name like a butterfly so we're not just talking about like your job or your career or your marital status or even like gender and those sorts of things and transitions there we're sort of talking about the stuff that can actually be quite internal yeah um
0: yeah and it's really hard to get a, an individual perspective on the dissolution process and then the recreation process if you only have the cultural models inside you because the culture says like there's a menu of things you can be you know but here's the menu of genders you can be Boy, mm. girl, take your pick. And now it turns out a lot of people don't want to take that pick. Yeah. They're different genders. There are many genders. And um, the in-between place is very uncomfortable. And people are trying to get identity politics lined up so they have language for it. Oh, but yeah. basically, the culture says at any point in your life, if, if you don't like your job, jump to a job that the culture made. You know, if you're not going to be a dancer, be a doctor. Yeah, so jump to something else on the menu, and then people want to grab something that's, that's on the menu so they can become that, but that may not be what their nature is wanting them to become. Exactly, and we're, we're actually taught that being...
1: Undefined is something to be feared, mm-hmm. right? Like so what we end up doing is trying to make it a version of the culture's menu. Here mm-hmm. are the number of things you can be.
0: Yeah,
1: And so
0: we're like, well, I'm kind of like a, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, I'm, I'm reading this book about a, a child prodigy violinist. Her name is Min Kim. And um, it's about how she lost her violin. Um, and she, it, she lost her violin at a certain point and thought, well, maybe I could be a doctor. Like it, like it was such a, like she would have had to jump completely to a different self and people don't like that. We want to be like the cultural version, even if a little bit different. Like when I came out as gay years and years ago, decades ago, and I looked around at the other lesbian women I knew they were always, well, it looked like maybe it wasn't on the inside, but they were trying to look like a sort of leave it to beaver nuclear family, 1950s American family. Look, we're okay. Like there would be the lipstick lesbian. And then there would be the dad one who Mm. was more masculine and made more of the money and whatever. And it was like, don't hurt us. We're almost exactly like you. Mm. I don't think I'm exactly like that at all.
1: Yeah. Isn't that interesting? And I feel like there's something grammatical about it. Like the, I'm a, You
0: know, I'm a noun.
1: And we're never nouns, we're always verbs, right? Because it's not not ever this final destination of a thing. And it's so interesting watching, like having Lila, our toddler, and feeling the culture come through me Mm. in that. And all of us, we all do it, all three of us, uh, as we're raising her, we find ourselves having these conversations of, oh, she likes this, maybe she'll be a, you know, that thing that is so obvious it's almost not worth saying but that you, it's so subtle the ways that we play out the culture that oh he likes building things with blocks he'll be an engineer mm-hmm, oh mm-hmm. look she's doing that with her dolly and I'm using those genders deliberately um she'll be a nurse yeah you know it's just like it, it's it's childhood is an undefined time you don't let like and we rush to put a little
0: label on them there is a fear there right Uh, absolutely i have two two follow-ups on that great the first one is that i just said you know we are not all leave it to beaver lesbians and you go yeah like the way the three of us are raising our baby that right there is something that we're like completely sanguine about and other people are like wait three (laughs) yeah three um watch leave that to beaver (laughs) leave (laughs) and then we oh we could go down a road that would not be appropriate for young children. I I think everyone's there with us right now. Thanks, guys. I think that yeah, yeah, just leave it. Just leave it. (laughs) And the other point is I want to know, and this is probably doing exactly the same thing, wanting to identify something that is not identifiable. But when you said we're all a verb, we're not a noun, Mm. I was like, oh, what verb are you? What (laughs) verb are you? What verb am I? And I was like, I've never thought of myself as a verb. What if we're like I'm thinking right now, what would I define myself as if I, had, if I had to call myself a verb, mm-hmm. what would you do?
1: This is a noun, <laughs> but I'm thinking about a Suzanne Vega song, which is called Small Blue Thing. And it goes, mm-hmm. today I am a small blue thing, like a marble or an eye. And yeah. it goes through, and it never says what the thing is, but it's like there's all these different permutations, and there's just this sense of a small blue thing, and it could be like any of these other things. And I feel like that's that's closer because it's you know I'm I am a oh I, I can't do that. yeah it's
0: hard I can't do it either I, I the only things that are coming to my mind are are images of water flowing. Mm. um like i am a trickle that sounds slightly (laughs) like scatological i am a tinkle i I am a tinkle from the loins of god (laughs) i no stop it stop right now mangan all right oh don't stop (laughs) um the point is you are going through this right now whatever verby
1: thing you are i just want to say something yes verb is a noun And that was what, so I let myself down right out of the gate there.
0: But that's so confusing. My brain hurts right now. I know. Yeah. Yeah. Language. It's a cultural thing. It works for the man. It's
1: working for the man. God, you're so right. Let's never use it. What I really
0: am is a whoo, whoo.
1: (laughs) This podcast is going to be challenged by our new decision to no longer use language. (laughs)
0: <laughs> podcasting does seem like the wrong medium <laughs> oh there are languages um in in like northern South America where there's no can words, I just say something? just whistling
1: can I just say something yes please just in that moment I watched your face as that thought popped into your head and you just went completely right into uh, nerd you just your nerd <laughs> face came on and this is what your nerd <laughs> face looks like <laughs>
0: Like, it looks like a lion about to, to like savage the neck of its prey
1: your nerd self is so excited it's
0: very excitable it really is and um yeah there are people who don't have words they only have whistling there are languages that are all music and no words but there are no people who don't have music music came first Just love saying. it i love it but tell us ro about what you're going through right now yeah, well, Speak I mean, the, this.
1: the thing about it and the reason that I wanted to talk about this today is that all I can tell you hmm. is that I have all the symptoms. Oh. Right? I don't know what part of myself I'm leaving behind. Mm-hmm. I don't know I don't know what I'm becoming except that it's a verb. <laughs> <laughs> a big one. <laughs> and maybe it's expressed in whistles. We don't know yet. Could be. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, what interests me is that what I've learned from your work is that when we go through these changes, it always looks a certain way, like within a very broad parameters, but there are these things that you see in your coaching or have done for a long time that sort of always happens that are our signals of those imago cells, like you were saying in the, in the goo of the caterpillar to butterfly metamorphosis and it's like I feel those imago cells popping Mm -hmm. and and I find myself doing some of the things that you talk about and it's so exciting it hasn't got a name I can't tell you what it is because it's undefined but I would be so excited if you could talk about what those symptoms are. And I know I'm just asking you to perform your work, but it's super interesting, at least to me. (laughs) I like it
0: at. We have so many things that come from the way Adam says things. I like it at. And one thing he always says is, and we say it now in our family, that makes me happy on the inside. Yeah. So... Speaking of on the inside, like a real metamorphosis starts from within. It is not culturally triggered. It can be triggered by events, but what you are meant to become is within you. So I don't go by what people have been, what they may think they want to become. I go by the symptoms they're showing of a metamorphosis. And I will tell you what they are. Yes, I will. Uh, The very first one is a curiosity you have not had before. This Ooh. this strange feeling of like, I'm just going to go. There was a woman who was on the Oprah show once who changed her whole life because she was driving across a bridge in New England and she saw someone rowing a one man shell on the river. And she became obsessively curious hmm. about this process and ended up becoming a rower and rowing across the Pacific or something. I don't know. But like she was so bizarrely curious about this thing when you get that odd curiosity that's to me that's the first symptom you may not even notice it
1: can i tell you what one of mine was that popped into my head so i can remember i don't know a couple of months ago being in lila's nursery playing with her and i had a podcast on um podcast by the brilliant emma gannon uh it's called the hyphen and oh no her newsletter is called the hyphen the podcast is called control alt delete it's so good you guys should listen to it and I was listening to this one, and Emma was interviewing someone from this um, sort of new media publication kind of model company called Substack. Mm-hmm. And I was just like that, like you know, you you know how it is when you have a podcast on, um, you just kind of you're doing your thing, doo doo. And but I just like stopped everything, stopped playing with Lila, and I was just drawn to this description. Mm. And it's like it's. Honestly, it's about like something that's between a blog and a newsletter. It's not the sort of thing that would usually get your heart racing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't stop thinking about it. I even, I've signed up for this course that they do and everything about it. It's like,
0: and who knows what that's about? I, I don't. I love the odd curiosity phase. Yeah. I, I, the thing that started me as a writer was I was listening to an Indigo Girls song. Didn't know I was gay. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Early signs. And it's
0: called Virginia Woolf. And also gay. Also gay. And one of the lines was a life of pages waiting to be filled. Oh, and there's it's it's like uh I, there I am on a kind of telephone line through time. Oh. And the voice at the other end comes like a long lost friend. And I was just, I just burst into tears. Yeah. And there was so much in me that was starting to metamorphose then because it's a very gay song, <laughs> and I didn't know I was gay, but that was happening. Um, you know, Virginia Wolf, gay, indigo girls, gay, everyone, gay. And then it was about writing and I never set out to be a writer. I was a mm. professor mm. and that's all I was planning to be. But it was just like something in me went, yes. And I got so curious about a lot of things.
1: It's so woo when it happens, like when it starts mm-hmm. happening and you're just like, WTF. Like, right. I don't, I like old me that is a noun doesn't give a shit about that <laughs> but now suddenly I'm like
0: oh, and there's like I always think about it as like feeling your way forward in the dark a little yeah. bit and you know this is when the culture immediately the acculturation will start to kick in and push you away from your curiosity well that doesn't mean anything who cares about rowing why are you listening to that song that's mm. stupid like wh- what's the point mm. you're not being productive mm-hmm. right like mm-hmm. why would you be interested in something you've never even thought about before because maybe I'm supposed to be something I've never even thought about before. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, it's so next time you get an odd curiosity, follow it, go down the rabbit hole. It's like Google everything, go looking. And the thing is you do it
1: anyway because it's fun. It's exciting, you know?
0: Well, you do it. I do it. But both of us were allowed to be quite free growing up to explore our interests So some people out there may be like, oh, that's a little scary. I'm telling you, it's worth it.
1: But isn't there a kind of enthusiasm that comes as you're in this
0: process? Oh, the more you pursue it, the better it gets. So then you get to the phase of enthusiasm, which I've heard uh, it defined also fascination as attention without effort. So it's like you have to force yourself to pay attention to your tax returns or whatever. But then there are things, and then there's passive stuff like TV where it's like you can veg out. But this is fascination. This is moving forward, pushing to learn more, and not being conscious of working at it or doing Mm. anything hard. Because it's just, when you get the, when the curiosity becomes enthusiasm, you're like a river running downhill. Right. You're shh. You're a tinkle from the loins of God. Good God, Martha. That's <laughs> disgusting. I'm sorry. You're a tinkle from the loins of the divine force you believe in. Any higher power. The you higher want. power if you're cheesing. Yeah. <laughs> you're ridiculous. a higher power piss is what you are. You're a golden <sighs> shower from a higher power. <laughs> And the thing is, piss is both a verb and a noun. Oh my god! The hunter becomes the hunted. I think in the last
1: one and a half minutes, we just lost every single person. Everyone. Listening.
0: Okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna say something here that is really true because is I've it, seen you do it. Is it literally true? It's literally true, okay. and it's empirically true. It's physical. You start <laughs> to move stuff around in your living space. And then you start changing your style, your personal style.
1: So we were um, up in the bedroom this morning chatting away, starting to talk about the podcast and and just also chatting and catching up. And I was saying to Marty, here's what I want to do here. I want to move this to here and this to here. And it was like, and it was, again, so exciting. Moving furniture around is not necessarily the most interesting thing for me most of the time. Oh, it's wonderful. Yeah, yeah. So, sorry, Maddie is is excited over there. She likes things about that. Not me. But now now I do. I don't know what I like. I like. That's my verb. I like. And today it's moving furniture. And it's so funny because I've heard you talk about this again and again. And it's not like I'm following a rule book where it's like, oh, I'm going through a change. I'll get the, I'll get finding you're a North Star out and like, it's not like that. It's like suddenly the joy is in the moving furniture around yeah. and then I'm like, oh, that's one of those things Marty
0: says uh, a part of
1: this. In and the if, we're watching, if, if anyone wants to look into it, it's called square two in her work.
0: And, and then we're watching TV and there's a woman who has like a cool jacket over a shirt that's not tucked in and you're like, okay, that. And it's not how you've been dressing, but it, it- was
1: actually a man dressed like
0: that. I think Is we, wrong. oh no, we didn't talk about this. Yeah. Yeah. It was a man. And I was like, that's how I want to dress. Yeah. And you'll change your hair. Oh, I remember a time. So we were living in California. And Rowie is a person of great personal um, discipline. So she wanted to go to this thing called the Hoffman Institute, which is like a total change your life, 10 day thing.
1: But not out of discipline. It was another one of these things.
0: I knew to go there. I just absolutely knew to go there. Oh, that's so cool. I didn't know that. Anyway, she went off for 10 days and did all this psychological stuff. And we weren't allowed to communicate at all. So we didn't know anything. So she comes back. To our home and this is when she had the long mane of hair mm-hmm. a lot of hair and she came in and she was like she got there at night after driving all day and she was like cut off my hair my hair has to go mm-hmm. and we were like are you sure I was I cut it in stages because having practiced on myself <laughs> surprised i let you at it to be honest i didn't do a so bad job no you did great but you were like no no i can't wait and go to a hair salon cut it off right now yeah and the moment we cut your hair off you looked so much like yourself suddenly right and you'd look like yourself with long hair before you went but you were a different person and
1: that was it and it was like that i need this hair off me right now like get it off me it's not i can't do this anymore i can't do this self anymore
0: you know what I'm afraid right now? I'm afraid I'm going to wake up tomorrow being a virtually hairless creature from birth and go, I really need a huge mane of wild hair. And I've still I've got
1: to... it in a bag. I could just That's get good. some Scotch tape and
0: we could do that. Yeah. <laughs> it would look about as good as it did when I was cutting my own myself. Yeah. So you start to change your look and the hair is actually really significant. I used to be a teaching fellow for Orlando Patterson at Harvard. Drink, please. Um, Relatable. Who was the world's leading authority on slavery. And so I had to learn all these things about slavery. And one of the uh, things that surprised me was that in all the cultures that have practiced slavery, which are many, um, the US was by far the most egregious, horrible, bad, don't do it, Um, offender, but slaves always had to wear a certain hairstyle Hmm. or their hair was, and and that was a big racist component because having curly hair or really curly hair um, was one of the ways they they tried to get people who were trying to pass, you know, because their parents had been through all these horrible rape scenarios. So they ended up looking almost white, but if their hair was curly, they were still considered slave material. I mean, it was really, really weird and shocking to realize how powerful hairstyle is as a so a marker of social status wow
1: yeah i mean it's certainly a way that many of us express identity
0: oh everyone literally it's well a- the
1: the bald
0: oh yeah there are people who don't have much of a choice like lila right now doesn't have that big a choice we've tried putting little pookies in her hair though and she pulls them right out she won't have it anyway changing your hair is like massively courageous. Like if you don't have the velocity of running, water running downhill, you won't do it because it's such a shift of identity that you're afraid of what other people's reaction might be. You dyed your hair dark from blonde. Yeah, well, I made I I was pushed, but I said, yes. My hairdresser goes, Yuli, she goes, I don't like when people's hair same color as skin. It's like weird, one big skinhead. <laughs> I darken it a few shades. You mind? I was like, no, go ahead, thinking I'd have like a honey blonde. She she dyes my hair. She lets me sit. She pulls off the towel and she goes, don't freak out. <laughs> <laughs> and you didn't. We didn't. I was. I really I like it. It's not a color found in nature, but I love that.
1: Yeah, it's cool. So, okay, so let me get this straight. We're talking yeah. about the symptoms of metamorphosis. We have odd curiosity, the things that where you are taking that first step away from your fear, right? Mm-hmm. And um, being curious about things that don't make much sense. Then we have the enthusiasm part and, you know, where all all it all sort of starts flowing and you're moving things around and you're changing your hair. Mm. And you
0: said then is the pursuit or tracking yeah. phase. Then comes the pursuit. You, you're sure that what you want to do is um, play the piano or whatever. And at first it comes naturally. You're just so into it and you're learning fast. And then there comes a time where you have to pursue the sound that you really want to make, or you you decide you're going to do a life's work of creating a company, and it sounds really great in the abstract, but then you have to put your hands in the clay and start saying, okay, I have to learn how to make this. I have to, I'm going to chase this down. It's no longer a matter of, huh, I feel curious, or, oh, this is effortless. It's like, no, I want to be this thing. Mm-hmm. It still may have no name, mm. but the image is getting clearer, and every um, every time you have an experience of joy and fulfillment, it's like a, another track in the in the pursuit of this creature, which is your future self. And that's wild. Yeah, and there was a time when I was obsessed with feeling like I was becoming something, and all I could hear in my mind was this Indigo uh, Girls going, "You are a great big
1: lesbian."
0: Well, there was that, but there was also T. S. Eliot, another great big lesbian. <laughs> Uh, famously, (laughs) famously lesbian. Did you not know? Mm. Um,
1: I (laughs) suspected.
0: So she writes, um, I said to my soul, be still and wait without love, for it would be love of the wrong thing. And wait without hope, for it would be hope of the wrong thing. There is yet faith, but the love and the hope and the faith are all in the waiting. Wait without thought, for you are not ready for thought. So the darkness shall be the light and the stillness, the dancing.
1: Wow. That is such, I love that bit of that poem, but more than anything, it's like, oh, that's exactly what we are talking about today. And that's, yeah, just, just clicked in. Wait without hope, wait without thought, wait without love.
0: That's, and so that, it totally changed my life because I now had a language, a, a bit of language to put on what was happening to me. Oh, something's changing. What am I becoming? What's going to happen to me? Wait without thought for you are not ready for thought. And that felt true. Mm. So I could say, all right, I'm not sure where, where this is going. I am going to pursue my interests. I'm going to try to guess what it is. I'm going to go as a verb. I'm going to, but I'm going to go hard. That's mm. the pursuit phase. Mm. I'm going to track hard because the little bursts of joy are the footprints
1: of your future self. Oh, I love that so much that your future self has walked ahead of you and left footprints on the path. That's so gorgeous.
0: I showed Lila her first set of deer tracks yesterday and she got it. I didn't think she would. Sorry, that was just a little cavil there. <laughs> anyway, then then there's one final phase, which is amazing. Wait, wait, wait. I want to say something hmm. about the
1: pursuit and just that hard work idea you know mm-hmm. just that we were talking recently about i don't know like so my thing is my natural way of thinking is probably quite countercultural um because i think the culture generally says work hard and you'll blah 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 but for me i always think geniuses are geniuses it just pours mm. out of them effortlessly you know and but we were talking recently about someone that we know and it's like smart people who work really hard. That's where, you know, that's the people that we see most um, purely fulfilling their mission, and yeah. you can feel it in the way that they work. And but also in that it's not easy, right? And I think that's that's been a big learning for me mm. um, because it's also like forced me to stop excluding myself from people who can do things. Mm. Mm. Because I thought it was effortless. And then I've watched people like you and other people who I do consider brilliant geniuses. Oh, okay. And and I'm like, oh, no, she has to go up there and name the document. And there's something about that where it's just like. Naming the document is a bitter struggle. (laughs) It makes it so real to me. Uh, yeah. With that you have a document there, and you know anyway that 's silly, but um, working hard, smart people who
0: work yeah, hard yeah without the pursuit phase, if you 're not willing to pursue and you just let yourself be a trickle all the time, <laughs> and you never like gain that internal momentum, often because you 're waiting for a thought, but you 're not ready for thought, just uh, go right? right okay, that is who I would like to identify as go.
1: Oh, that's good. Yeah. That's good. I would like to identify as weight without thought.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I thought just as weight like the weight of a sack of beans. <laughs> I would like to identify myself as a weight without thought.
1: <laughs> Basically like a paperweight, but larger.
0: <laughs> yeah, but the hard work, it's funny because um, Hesiod said that the Roman poet, he said, um, mediocrity is easy and the way to it is level and smooth, but in front of excellence, the gods have put boulders and the way to it is hard and steep. But when you get to the top, then it is easy, even though it is hard.
1: Huh, that's cool.
0: So yeah, it's like you can't to not do it is hard. Like And uh, to
1: do it is hard. Yes.
0: And literally everything in my life has happened because I was terrified to go forward, but I was more terrified of not going forward.
1: Huh. Yeah.
0: Like I was like when I quit academia, I remember my then husband said, you know, we should quit our jobs. I was 30. He was 33. And I was like, why? We're on these cushy tenure track professorships. And he said, do you want to do this every day for the rest of your life? And I was like, oh, my God, we've got to quit right now. And we did without any other jobs right then, like with three kids. It was not a low risk dive, but it had to happen. Well,
1: and and it happened that way. And you took that risk because you were already in this stage of the metamorphosis, right? It's not no one's saying quit your job. Oh no, you you know,
0: (laughs) I wouldn't, I would never stay in your job and do something wordless when you get home or even at your desk, if you can hide it. (laughs) And speaking of at your desk, there's the you've got mail phase. And so this is
1: the final symptom of this, of this part of the personal metamorphosis.
0: It's kind of where you break through and you can start to have an identity and in the coaching system that I teach I know this is so gimmicky and gross but we call it the three ends first you notice what you're interested in then you narrow it down in the pursuit phase and then when you've already done it then you give it a name
1: so you don't search for a name that the culture already gave it
0: that's a sure way to get shoehorned into something that is not your nature right you have to become whatever it is and then give yourself a title. Right. And, uh, yeah, I haven't come up with a good title for myself. Wayfinder is what I stick on everything because yeah. like that's, that's the verb form. I mean, that is the noun form of the real identity word, which is go. Hmm. Yeah. That's so cool. So tell me about the, you've got mail. That's sometimes. when people start coming to you and saying, well, this it happened to you with the Substack thing you were talking about. You had this real, you, you were pulled toward it like a yeah. fish on a hook going, why am I so curious? Yeah. And then you really worked hard. You, you took the class, you signed up for it, you wrote these, like you've been working hard. Very hard. And yesterday you wrote a piece that really knocked my socks off and you put it out there and people started, well, they came to you before that even happened and said, do you want to be part of... Um, this group that is I don't even know you were just selected to be part of a group yeah like this class thing that I was talking about right 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 but you had that just came from nowhere somebody just Mm. noticed your stuff Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. said yeah we want more of that yeah and that's the way if you're doing something that has no name people just have to see it it's like Steve Jobs was a great genius of creating something no one knew they needed which they knew they needed as soon as they saw it Right. Yeah. Yeah, like I didn't know how badly I needed my iPhone. Yeah. I really need it. (laughs) It's like a fifth limb. So yeah, yeah, you start to get this you've got mail thing where people drop in and say, do that again. Do that for money. Do that with me. Come on, do it over here. Come to this group. Do that there. And you start naming what you're doing. And um, because it's absolutely what you are meant to be at that moment, you can name it. And start to be yourself in the world, except that you're still a tinkle from the loins of your higher power. Mm-hmm. And you sh- you have to be ready to let it go because the caterpillar only does it once, but you could do it as many times as you want.
1: Well, it's going to happen to you whether That's you want true. it or not.
0: That's true. It's not a choice, really. It's your nature.
1: Yeah. So how do we figure this thing out, Marty, this weird phase, this undefined phase between um, being one thing, feeling like one sort of thing and becoming, or it's actually the phase where you are a verb between possibly two nouns. Yeah, before
0: you have the name. That's that's what I really want to promote in this podcast. Be nothing. Be nebulous and misty. Uh, A few years ago, though, I realized that a lot of people were getting very, very anxious, and this is true. Anxiety is going nuts all over the planet. So I spent five years researching and writing a book about how to read your compasses and lower the anxiety that's getting between you and your right life. And I'm very excited about the book. It's coming out in 2025. But I would love to teach you about it before the book comes out. So this summer, I'm doing a course called The Wayfinder's Compass, Moving Beyond Anxiety. And you can check it out by going to marthabeck.com slash compass. And we will have a fabulous time putting you on course for your North Star.
1: So I feel like the idea that just kept coming to me is this idea of a space for dreaming. Mm. Like that's what I don't think our culture allows us Mm. is the fallow time, Yeah, you know, that sort of negative space time where you're just waiting to see what rises, the wait without thought for you're not ready for thought time. And it feels so important because this is something where it's, the culture is within us, pressuring us, mm-hmm. not coming from other people so much because you can feel the change and there's such a rush like us with Lila. She'll be an engineer. She's building towers out of blocks. Yeah. That anxiety that rises to renown the self right. Um, in that time where you're, you're really not, you know, the, the imago cells are just glittering around you. Yeah. And. So for me, I'm like, I've made a a space for dreaming and, and watching, watching what happens. And that space is real. I'm spending a lot of time in a different part of the house than I had been. And, and it's also just, hmm? the bathroom. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, when the trickle comes.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's right. You better be ready.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah. So a space for dreaming is how I've kind of figured it out for myself. What about you?
0: There's a story that really helps me. um, Is it about
1: urination in some way?
0: No. Okay. It's about China as many of my favorite stories are. Mm -hmm. Um, It's in ancient China. They used to, when a kid was a year old, if it was a boy, because women weren't given professions, but they would Set the baby in the middle of several objects. There was like a writing pen, there was a knife, there was, I, I can't remember the objects, but they oh, represented yeah. different professions. And the baby w- would crawl and pick up an object, and whatever he picked up, that was going to be his life hmm. at one. At the same time, I think as a resistance to this kind of being buttonholed, there was a dude, and I don't remember his name, but he was a, a Taoist monk and he went off to the mountains to decide what he wanted to be and he gave himself space to dream mm. and he would come back occasionally he was 20 he was 40 he was 60 and he was like no not yet hasn't settled in yet when he was 80 he finally came back and said okay i'm a teacher and and this is i know what i'm going to teach and he got to work in his 80s and kept teaching till he was 120 <laughs> cool. He still had forty years of wow. being this, and and part of it was that he was in this constant fluid state, and that's what he had to teach but that like don't give up however old you are, however stuck you may think you are, like the metamorphosis happens from within you it's from the inside, and if you go with it, life will make a way for you that's my thinking
1: life will make a way for you and what I'm making sure I do is I don't rush to become a noun again. I'm just mm. just here in the goo watching the little glitters of imago cells around me.
0: Fabulous. So let's just all stay with that thought and stay, stay wild. wild.
1: We hope you're enjoying Bewildered. If you're in the USA and want to be notified when a new episode comes out, text the word WILD to 570 873 0144 we're also on instagram our handle is bewildered podcast you can follow us to get updates hear funny snippets and outtakes and chat with other fans of the show bewildered is produced by scott forster with support from the brilliant team at mbi and remember if you're having fun please rate and review and stay wild
0: You know, what I'm seeing out in the world is a lot of fear and a growing amount of despair. Maybe you're feeling that way, too, because the ways our culture has taught us to navigate the world, to navigate our lives, they are failing us. We need And the world needs wayfinders now more than ever. So please go to marthabeck.com and you'll find your way.